Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hatchesat and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists and we've got some pretty cool cars to talk to you about today as well as a roundup of the latest impressive auto show. So Ben, why don't you take it off? Uh, nope, why don't you start us <laughs> Too off? Too late, it's coming off, Sammy. <laughs> no, start us off and uh, tell me what cars you've been driving lately. And um, I think I've driven these cars too, so we can get some really good healthy discourse going on with these things. Well, I, I don't know how healthy the discourse will be, but it will certainly be informative. And uh, I just want to start out with the Nissan Leaf, which is an electric car that most people are probably familiar with because it was one of the first electric cars to really make a, an impact on the market many years mm. ago when it, when, it was, when it was released. And uh, it's been completely redesigned for 2018. It looks very different. It feels very different. And it has a lot more range. I, uh, Sammy... You said you've driven the Leaf as well? Yeah. And where did you drive uh, it? It was a very short period of uh, – very short drive during my World Car of the Year um, testing in L.A. last year. Okay. Um, you said it has an improved range. Yeah, it is 150 miles, which is really – it sounds it sounds really low in comparison to the old uh, – in, in comparison to the Bolt, for example. It does sound but low. And you know what? It is low. <laughs> I'm going to – I had the Bolt for about a week, and um, I was not impressed really across the board with what the car had to offer, especially in comparison with some of the the other options that are out there. So, sorry, uh, the Bolt you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. You said you had the Bolt for a week and you weren't impressed with it. Oh no no, I'm sorry. I I, I don't know what I'm saying. I had the Leaf for a week. Right. I was not and impressed with the Leaf, especially in comparison with the Bolt. It really is interesting because Nissan. Uh, or Nissan, however you want to pronounce it. Sorry, American and, and Canadian listeners, we might change that up a bit. Um, they had the leg up on the on the EV market with the with the original Leaf, with the first generation Leaf, and this is the second model. And you'd expect them to really come in and and take charge. Uh, ooh, that's a bad pun. Uh, with with the new version, right? But well, it feels like they've already been surpassed by a first generation product known as the Chevrolet Bolt. And there's other cars like the Hyundai Ionic, which have a fantastic pure EV mode uh, or pure EV model, which also has comparable range and is uh, is really good looking and drives really well. Well, you know, the problem, I think, is Nissan's taking a two-tiered approach to their EV strategy now. So the, the Leaf that they brought first, and this is the mistake, the Leaf mm -hmm. that they brought first is the entry-level Leaf, and they're going to bring something called the Leaf Plus in 2019 and that's going to have a 60 kilowatt hour battery which is the same capacity as the bolt ev it's always dangerous to not lead with your best foot and i agree with you on this i absolutely agree with you you know when it, when car companies come out with the initial product mix of vehicles that they bring to the dealership you'll notice that there'll be the high-end models are there and the the volume models are there but it's always harder to get the entry-level models and that's because they're they don't sell nearly as strong so the, the volume models, they, they generate cash, and the, the high-end models, they generate profits. When, when you come out with, with something like the Leaf, the regular Leaf, that can't match the range or the performance of something that's been on the market for over a year now, you're really sending a message to anyone who is interested in buying it that maybe they should just wait. And yeah. I, I, I can't really say anything other than that. I mean, it's, it's, I could not in good conscience recommend the leaf to anyone looking for an ev because it's outperformed so dramatically by the bolt 
And there are other cars on the market, like you mentioned, the Ionic, uh, the Volkswagen e-Golf, that are similar to what the Leaf has to offer without necessarily the same kind of... Um, I feel like the the e-Golf and obviously and the Ionic are more everyday car kind of feel compared mm-hmm. to the Leaf, which is very much an EV. Like it wants you to know it's an EV at all times. Okay, so I mean, I I'm now I mean I brought the the Bolt and the fact that the Leaf is outperformed here, but we should also bring up the fact that a base Bolt starts at thirty seven thousand dollars before incentives. And a base leaf starts at 30. That's a pretty big um, difference, especially since that's before all the incentives kick in. It is a big difference. But you know what else is a big difference? 150 miles of range in the leaf (laughs) versus 238 miles in the bolt. And That's a very tangible difference as well. I mean, that's like, what, 30, almost 40% of a a difference? There's there's something else I'd like to point out that while we're talking about the leaf's range, it was the most – the second most disappointing part of the vehicle for me because – I took the Leaf on a highway trip, mm-hmm. and I was stunned by how much range I lost just driving at higher speeds versus what it, the projected range was when I left my house. Um, it was it was a little bit frightening, and I was at one point not sure if I'd have enough range to do what I needed to do for the rest of the day because of this one trip. I, when I left my house, and I'm going to change into kilometers here because that's how the car was set up for me, mm-hmm. I believe I had something like... 229 kilometers and i probably of of range left on the battery fully charged and i drove maybe 80 kilometers and that left me with something like 50 kilometers on the battery so it was these are obviously these are not the exact numbers but that was roughly the feel that i had it felt like i used half the range of the car and wasn't left with half at the end I was left with maybe 25% of the battery, and that, and I actually got the battery down below the 20% range, and that was really shocking to me over the course of a single day's driving, and a lot of that had to do with just driving at highway speed, 65, 70 miles an hour. That's really interesting. Do you have any, I mean, there's so many things, just like driving a, I think just like driving a gas car, a gas-powered car, or an internal combustion engine car, there's a lot of things that contribute to the, to the change of range, or just like internal combustion engines and their fuel economy. Um, how you drive and temperatures are a pretty big uh, indicator or they will they will change the way you get your range pretty dramatically yes so and it wasn't was it a it, cold it was not a cold day it was mm. a it was above zero it was above freezing sorry zero celsius so above 32 degrees fahrenheit and that was a big part of why i was so surprised i'm actually i i believe i photographed the range that i had and i'm looking through my photos now to see if i can find the exact amount um on the leaf but uh here we go so, yeah, I got the battery down to 16%, mm. and that was that was really really surprising to me. And I'm I'm looking at it now, and um, wow, it's just the 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 amount of driving I actually did versus the so at 60% it was telling me I had 135 kilometers that I could drive. So that's about 75 miles. Okay. And then at 16% that dropped to 38. So 100 kilometers sliced off when 40% of the battery was gone in between there. Um, that That's that's a, a huge margin. And again, I'm not hammering the car. It's not really a performance car. I had one other person with me that day, um, and it wasn't super cold. So all mm-hmm. of these things together, just it, it, I have driven the Bolt on the same road, actually, mm-hmm. for a much longer distance. 
And I did you not did have... also. I mean, I, I mean, our listeners will also remember that you had um, a bolt, and we're not very impressed with its range. But of course, we had it. You had it during a pretty harsh winter, uh, some pretty harsh winter weather. If I yeah, it was. It was. It was cold. Um, and it was actually colder than when I was driving the Leaf. But right. uh, I, the, it did a better job than okay. than the the leaf did and, but here's the other problem i have with the leaf and i mentioned this to you when i was driving it mm-hmm. so like the bolt that has a a one pedal system right i believe the bolt mm-hmm. has that as well and um what this means is you don't have to use the brake when you're driving it so you can set it up to this you don't have to turn it on if you don't want to but if you do want to use it you have to turn it on every single time you turn on the car which is kind of annoying mm-hmm. It's a, it's a button on the console, and you push it. And what happens is it's like a golf cart. When you take your foot off the gas – or sorry, when you take your foot off the accelerator, it automatically engages the um, – E-pedal? Reg- is that what it's called? I'm sorry? E-pedal? E- I don't remember what it's called. It could be okay. E-pedal. But it, it engages the regenerative braking really aggressively, and it slows yeah. down the car without you having to use the brake. Mm-hmm. So around town, that's kind of cool because – you know, it's not always easy to modulate a regenerative braking system so that you get the most out of it. So this lets the computer try to squeeze as many electrons out of a stop as you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem with the e-pedal was while it's using that braking system, if you need to actually brake the car, because let's say here's a situation I ran into more than once. I was caught in traffic. I'm creeping along the highway and I'm using the one pedal system. A vehicle in front of me stops suddenly or cuts in front of me and I have to hit the brakes hard. It goes crazy. What do you it, mean by it goes crazy? So you get a crazy jur, 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 grinding sound from the brakes right away. And there were a couple of times. Like I, ABS? Like ABS gone wrong. And mm. there were a couple of times where I wasn't sure I was going to stop. I was legitimately worried I was going to run into the car ahead of me because the car simply wasn't braking. And during that whole process, it goes from being a smooth, automatic, one-pedal braking system to an extremely jerky system. So there's the Not sound. Not a very panicky. Like, yeah, you it's don't, totally if panicky. On, if, you're, if, you're, if you've lost confidence in your car's braking ability, like the ability to stop uh, when you need it to, not this novelty e-pedal um, – you lose faith in your car, right? You don't want to drive it after you're like, can you imagine like you drive this thing for a day and that's the experience you have? You're like, I don't know what the, what's going on. Well, my passenger was worried too okay. because she saw, all she hears is a crazy brake sound and feels the car not stopping. You know, it's, it was disconcerting. And that is something I've not experienced in any other electric car. I, I will say that regenerative braking systems are generally not as good at emergency stops mm-hmm. as you would like them to be. Yeah, but yeah, that's because they're not like actual like as far as I understand, they're not actual like brakes. They're not using the brake calipers. They're like yeah, uh, there's there's yeah. there's a secondary system installed there. But in the case of the Leaf, it's the first time I felt like it was dangerous. Okay. And that's a really strong thing to say. And I realized that like saying a car's braking system is dangerous implies a lot of things. And uh, I'm not not trying to single the Leaf out for being a dangerous car because I don't think it is. But I do think the way its braking system operates is somewhat dangerous, and it's not clear. It wasn't clear to me how I could make that better. I I, I tried a few right. different things, but when you're in that situation, you hit the brakes hard. That's what you yeah. do, you know. And there's no real way to mitigate that. A panic brake is a panic brake, and the Leaf did not like it. That's really interesting. Now I drove it very very shortly, and I didn't have any panic stops when I was uh, driving. I didn't experience this. But um, I really did find the the one pedal thing to be an interesting novelty, but nothing that I was that really like was like wow, this is the way you're supposed to drive. I don't really think that's 
I mean, I don't know what, why I would consider that to be a, a buying feature or a killer app or anything like that. It was it was a novelty and it was cool and that was it. Well, I mean, um, if it works properly, then you're theoretically getting more miles from your or from your regenerative braking system being put back into the battery. That's, right, that's and the that, whole deal. That is that is in theory that's exactly what happens. I mean, um, but it's not going to. I mean, how much more range do you get just from emergency braking? Well, I not, mean, my whole range thing wasn't great. It just, <laughs> yeah. So it's hard to tell. I, I wish I'd had an objective way to measure the range problem. I I don't have clear numbers on. Um, how it performed, but it was unexpectedly shorter than I thought it would be. And, okay. and that, you know, maybe the 60 kilowatt hour version is going to be better. Uh, as for other things, I mean, it was reasonably powerful. It's reasonably spacious inside. It drives fine. There's no, mm -hmm. you know, it's it doesn't feel like it's handicapped in any one area except for the braking. You also get – did you get a model with that um, that new FAE, FAE Level 2 feature, um, ProPilot Assist? Did you I did, and it didn't work. Okay. So right from ben, day one – What? What's going on with your press car? I picked up a, a, a totally – it was clean and washed and everything, and I tried I, – I get a message saying front sensor something or speed cruise uh, – you know, adaptive cruise control not available – Blah, blah, blah. And I figured it was just because there was ice or something on the sensor. Now, ice because it had been washed, not ice because the roads were dirty, because the roads mm. were clear the whole time I used the vehicle. It never went away. It never cleared up. And I checked the front of the car and I couldn't find any ice. So I was unable to use any of the ProPilot Assist features because with that sensor out, it won't engage anything. That like is it, I think brutal. you could you can use like parts of it individually, like a blind spot warning and whatnot, but the system itself, no, forget about it. That's brutal. Okay, you had a very poor experience with this car. Unfortunately, um, yeah, it's it was not. I mean, I can't recommend it. That's tough. I wonder what will happen with the next the next version. And I agree with you. I mean, I want to see the the. I think it's going to be a sixty kilowatt hour battery model. Yeah, um, that's what they're planning. Leaf Plus. That will be that will make it on. That should make it on par with the Bolt. Um, Range wise. That's going to be really tough. I mean, you know, and it's strange because this base bolt, that, that, that's double the old, sorry, this base leaf is double the old leaf's mileage. I think the old leaf was like 73 <laughs> miles, and this one's good for 150. And, and you know, that's, doubling something is good. <laughs> but if you look at the climate that that car's being sold in, it's just, I mean, it's good, but it's not great. It's not, it's it's very middle of the pack or even bottom of the pack now. This is really tough. Um, can you talk to me about how you how you like the interior uh, and exterior design of the car? Uh, I like the new exterior of it. It looks more conventional. It looks more normal. It looks dorky. Um, it, you won't get caught with like weird stairs because of what the old leaf. The old leaf was super polarizing. I think. And yeah, I totally wild. agree. I totally agree. Uh, and the new one looks said. really cool. I love the taillights that remind me kind of like a 370Z and kind of like a juke. They're really like funky. Yeah, no, it's 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 you're, you're totally right. It's it's a much more normal car uh, in, in every way. Not just normal in that in like looking too conventional, but it also is quite look quite good looking. I think there's also you know we should also point out that the Leaf is really insignificant when it comes to sales for Nissan. I think it's like one uh, percent of okay. of the uh, Nissan sales in the U.S. are EV related. That's that's it, and globally, uh, it's the EV sales in general, it's 0.2% of vehicles that are sold worldwide. So 
I can kind of get why Nissan didn't really want to pour a ton of money into the Leaf. Although they did, they put a lot of money into it, but they didn't. They didn't build a bolt beater, and and that's the weirdest part of it for me because I yeah, that's what I agree. I agree with you one hundred percent. They had a chance to take um, a leading role in the electric in the electric vehicle race, I suppose if you want to call it that. The same way that that Toyota does with the did with the the first generations of the Prius, right? Yeah, and and you know I felt the same way about the Ionic. The Ionic is a good car, but without that range, from and maybe I'm you know I don't own an EV. So maybe I am an outlier in my opinion, but to me, range is the most important thing in an affordable EV. And if you come onto the market and you're not even you're not even close to being competitive with the market leader, I mean this isn't something like cargo space where like maybe you don't you you'll be okay leaving a suitcase at home. This is something like range where it it affects everything you do with the vehicle and it affects you mentally in terms of what you think you can and can't accomplish with the vehicle. And if you're that far behind you know, the bolt, why are you even in the game? This is, it's such a difficult thing to talk about. I mean, Nissan, to me, it's, it just bugs me because they were one of the earlier adopters of EV technology and the Leaf was, has been around for a while. It was around for maybe seven, nine years, eight or nine years before getting the second generation model. Um, and Leaf buyers were, were very happy to be that early adopter. They were. Uh, and, and I think for them to really not have something to be super proud of when the Chevrolet Bolt is is better than it and the Ionic is better than it, that's not a feeling you want. That You're going to lose loyalty in a, in a bit. Yeah, now, so I guess did, – did Nissan – did they do a calculus where they're like, look, it's going to take us this long to make a 60-kilowatt-hour one, so should we leave the old Leaf on the market and risk losing sales or should we put the new Leaf on the market and risk losing goodwill? Mm-hmm. That's like, interesting. That's a really interesting um, mindset or idea there. There's something else that's worth talking about, and you have to we have to really open our. I think we have to go outside the box here. But Nissan has to, and Mitsubishi are now buddies. They're now well, Nissan owns Mitsubishi, and yeah, one remember of all your friends that you own, Sammy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't own any friends then. But, yeah, one of the things that Nissan and Mitsubishi both talk about is that they're going to leverage Mitsubishi's EV tech. Now, you had the chance to drive the plug-in version of the Outlander um, SUV, and it's a very popular car around the world, uh, mainly because it's offered in places where there aren't very many affordable plug-in electric vehicles. Yeah, and you know what I... Is Nissan... I know what you think. You do not... I know you don't think that's a a very high-quality... Uh, plug-in hybrid either definitely is not but nissan is hoping i think to combine what they know with the leaf with their experience with the leaf with what mitsubishi knows with its plug-in and electric vehicles it had the imi for a while which as well is a, is a very bizarre car um and i guess they're hoping to make a more successful range of evs can you see that happening <laughs> anything is possible sammy i know um... but I I don't really want to comment on how I feel about a potential hookup between um between Nissan and, and Mitsubishi and the, because I don't really know what's going on at Mitsubishi. I don't think anyone does. It's kind of a black box when it comes to vehicle development. Uh I will say this though. Last week I also drove another EV made by BYD, Build Your Dreams, which is a Chinese automaker that is not selling vehicles in the retail space in North America, but they are selling to fleets. And this vehicle was the E6. It's a taxi that they built. It's it's a heavy-duty car. Like, it it weighs a fair amount. It's built to be used as a taxi and to take all the abuse you'd want on the road. That BYD has 190 miles of range. 
Okay. Now, how can Nissan come to the table with 150 miles in the leaf when a Chinese automaker that's not even trying to be competitive in the retail space is blowing them away with another 40 miles of range in a much larger and heavier vehicle? Yeah, in a car that, and, and if, I mean, assuming many taxi fleets get their hands on this, on a much more visible car too, right? Yeah. Like a lot of people are going to see this and they're going to be curious about this in a way that a Nissan Leaf probably won't. So it's, it's spark it's, that kind of interest. I had that kind of you know, this these two dramatically different approaches to the same problem, or or sorry, not necessarily the same problem because you know retail versus taxi, but just uh, to to see a company that really could have done what BYD did or what GM did because Nissan has those resources and they chose not to is frustrating, or that they chose to wait is frustrating. So that's kind interesting. Of, that sums up how I feel about the Leaf. Okay, talk to me about the other car that you've had, which is another thing that I've actually had some some impressive uh, an, an impressive amount of time in, including driving on the first drive event sometime last year around this time, actually. Well, That's the Volkswagen Atlas. Yeah, the 2018 Volkswagen Atlas, which if you haven't seen is the is also known as the Volkswagen Explorer because it's uh, a very stylistically it's a very familiar shape. Anyone who's seen a large three row SUV will pretty much know what the atlas looks like before they see the atlas it's a big it's a big car um it's what volkswagen really needed to gain some momentum again in in the u.s that's a three-row crossover something that families can get behind uh or get into and uh getting behind a car is not good for a whole family um and it's it's supposed to be that car that really helps um helps them out right i i disagree with you because what? I agree with what you're saying in terms of I think that's how Volkswagen is positioning the car. I think right. that it's the most of American Volkswagen that's ever been made. And I think Volkswagen thought it needed to make an American car to get the sales that everyone's enjoying in the SUV business. But I here's here's the stumbling point for me. I don't think anyone who goes into a Volkswagen dealership is looking for an American car experience. And I don't know who the customers they think – they're going to be getting with this car are. I mean, when I think large SUV, I don't think Volkswagen, and I don't think anyone does. And I'm not sure if the idea is the Atlas with its three rows is for people who've outgrown the Tiguan, mm-hmm. or if they're going to be conquesting people from other automakers. If they really think the Atlas is compelling enough that people will say, you know what, this Traverse is cool, but I'm going to look at something else when it's time to upgrade, maybe I'll go to Volkswagen. I don't think that customer exists. And I think the idea that Volkswagen is so obsessed with building Americanized versions of its cars, we saw it with the Passat we saw mm-hmm. to a degree. We saw it with the Jetta to a huge degree. Touareg. Now it has three. It has an option for three rows. Is the Touareg even still on sale? In Not the Touareg. Area? Sorry, the Tiguan. I meant the Tiguan. I'm, yeah. Excuse so me. The, the, the Tiguan, I mean, are you losing your identity, Volkswagen? Is is it worth being so self-effacing if, if – what you hope to achieve is to just merely be like everyone else instead of being what you've always been, which is an alternative to everyone else? Well, this is something – I mean we used to say the same thing about the Jetta. The Jetta was always this weird little car that was super Americanized or super popular with American buyers uh, when the Golf was the really good car. Well, the, the, it's because Americans don't traditionally buy hatchbacks. So the mm-hmm. Golf was always But the two cars were so very different. Well, I mean in some generations, yes. In some generations, no. Okay. I mean, there were some Jettas that were just golfs with a trunk. <laughs> this is 
the the Atlas is a very interesting car. I see what they're trying to do, and I don't know if they were super effective. Now, the interesting thing is I don't think they're alone in making in or in, in having difficulty building a very good three row crossover. So why don't you tell me what your experience with, was with well, this car, and we can continue. We can continue from there. There was nothing really wrong with the Atlas that I drove. It's roomy inside. The third it's row is very roomy, actually. The third row is pretty decent, even for someone for an adult. You could sit back there, and it was not too bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, the materials that were used throughout, pretty nice. I mean, I had a top trim model. Mm-hmm. It had the the three point six liter V six, which uh, as long as you kept it in normal drive mode, felt fine. If you put it in sport mode, it it has the I believe is it a dual clutch transmission in that vehicle? I think it is. No, um, I don't think it is. No, well, whatever no. whatever the automatic transmission is. I love how I'm the automotive journalist, and I'm like, I don't even know what transmission is. <laughs> so the transmission in that vehicle, if you put it in sport mode, oh man, it just short shifts all the time. Mm-hmm. It's like always dropping gears. It's it's super not short shift, it's, but it. It, it, it's constantly trying to get you to a more aggressive gear ratio, and it's really frenetic and not fun at all. <laughs> like it's super inappropriate for yeah. uh, for uh, a crossover, right? But in regular drive mode, it's totally fine. Uh, the issue, one issue I did notice with the vehicle, is if you have the third row folded flat mm-hmm. in the back, if you're not using it, if you want to put cargo on it or whatever, it's noisy. It rattles. It Ouch. rattles all the time. And uh, on top, if you have the seats up, it doesn't do that. The other thing I noticed, and again, it speaks to kind of the roughness of the vehicle. Over speed bumps, it's extremely stiff. It was a very, very stiff ride. Yeah, I noticed this when I drove the car as well. This, the stiffness was a really interesting. It stood out for me. I also was not as sold on the interior quality. Uh, I'm, I feel like Volkswagen has really phoned it in with some of their interiors, and this is one of them. Granted, it does. I'm, I'm assuming you had one with that um, digital display or digital dash, which is pretty yeah. cool, right? Yeah. That's one of the one of the highlights of all of Volkswagen's new cars, but it can't take away from the rest of the car's uh, shortcomings in terms of um, trim and and design. What it really boiled down to to me was, again, this is a perfectly acceptable vehicle that doesn't shine in any one area except maybe third row room, which is not easy to do. And I, you know, I had people tell me they liked how it looked. That's I so find, bizarre. It looks I know. Super, I find it to look very um, stale uh, already. It's, yeah, like, it's a, it's it doesn't break any ground. Very very lacking in personality, both in, inside and out. I can't say anything really bad about the vehicle that I haven't already said, mm-hmm. but I can't recommend it. It's not something. If someone said I want a three row crossover, I would never suggest the Atlas. It just wouldn't come to mind because it doesn't really stand out. If now, someone bought an Atlas, I wouldn't be like, "Oh, I'm sorry." <laughs> it's about but, fifty grand too, isn't it? It's like I don't know. There's a two-liter version. You get a two-liter turbo version. In addition, oh, that to the, one is not gonna. That one does not cut it, man. In addition to the V6, so that one does not cut it. I drove one of those, and it was not impressive. I have an issue with with the car, and I have an issue with one of its competitors, the Honda Pilot, mainly because we drove um, the versions of GM's three-row crossover. You drove the Traverse. I drove the Enclave. These are wicked, well-buttoned-down cars. And I'm usually not the first to jump in line saying that that Chevrolet has got a really solid car. But in this case, they nailed it. And yeah, it's good. I would take that over this any day of the week. Any For day sure. Day. I mean, even, you know, you the, the vehicles like the Explorer as well, it's, it's, it's another very well done. If you want something that's totally different but does the same thing, there's the, the Durango. Which and gives the, you. There's also a hybrid and ele- the um, what's the name of that one? The Highlander. The Highlander. That's also an um, interesting ride. But uh, you know, and 
in the same topic, a mu- the, my pick of all of them, the Ford Flex. I mean, a Ford Flex with the EcoBoost, you have style, you have a interior room that's pretty good, and um, it's great to drive. It, it really drives much better it, than most other SUVs because it's 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 lower to the ground. It's just a, a better, it's a similar platform to the Explorer, but it's not as bulky, um, and I, I really like it. The Ford, the the Flex is a tough one because I think it's getting a little old. It feels like it hasn't been touched up in a very long time. Oh, definitely, definitely. But uh, even with that, I would recommend it over an Atlas. That's in, that's interesting. It's just um, a better vehicle. It can also be equipped with a lot of really funky features. And again, I just don't know where Volkswagen seems like they they really cut their their themselves short. They really sh- they really shut themselves out with this Atlas. They could have done a lot more with it. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't. And well, it's a, it's a it's a by the numbers SUV. And it again, almost feels like stress... a compli- It almost feels like a compliance vehicle, like the way like an <laughs> EV would. They made everyone made like EVs just to make EV, like to suit the the regulatory needs. It feels like they're just like we've got a three row crossover for America to be happy now. So well, yeah. We well, you're 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 so right though because this is not a vehicle they will ever sell in their home market. There's no demand for the Atlas in Germany. So it's entirely a foreign vehicle. It would be like it's it's like when Ford decided it needed to make small cars or GM decided they needed to make small cars. Those companies they went to their European divisions. They went to I mean look at GM with the Spark. The Spark was mm-hmm. uh, is a result of their collaboration with Daewoo, whose name has changed now. But it's it's no GM Korea. Well, yeah, well, yeah the, the Korean division of GM plays a huge role in defining their subcompact and compact cars. The Spark is excellent. It is a thoroughly excellent – yeah, it looks good. It drives great. But you know what? GM realized they needed to get outside of – this was outside of their core competencies, so they engaged a partner to help them make that car possible. Volkswagen doesn't have those partnerships. They don't have someone they can turn to and say, you know what? We know how to build a Golf, but we don't really know how to build a giant crossover. Who can help us? No one can help you. I mean – they okay. they've done it they 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 built the Audi Q7 which is very mm-hmm. popular the new model t- the new that new platform that the Q7 and the Cayenne um run on is so good too it's like a really solid car and they could have real, bought, brought another Tiguan but they didn't and i wonder what i mean the Tiguan just couldn't have that third row seating so what could we do right like what's the scoop it's 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 a strange situation um it's i mean i'm sure they'll sell some I think they sell a lot. Honestly, I see more than I would have ever the, anticipated. The Atlas? Yeah, I see more on the roads than yeah, I would have what? thought. Hey, maybe I'm entirely wrong. I'm not in the the you know I'm not an automotive executive, and my opinions are just my own. And again, I want to stress it's not a bad vehicle in any way. It's just an unremarkable vehicle. They sold twenty seven thousand last year, and it was that was their they went on sale in May. Okay, well they still have a. I mean, how many Sorrentos were sold last year? A hundred thousand. Yeah, 000. that's true. That's true. So I, again, there's another vehicle I would recommend over the Atlas. Easy. Any one of my favorite crossovers. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago on the show. It's just so good. Uh, and Atlas doesn't touch it. It's it's not bad, but it doesn't reach the same levels of you don't when you're driving the Sorrento, you feel like you're driving uh, a, a well formulated vehicle. When you're driving the Atlas, you feel like you're driving something that gives you the space that you want. And the size that you want, but it's not necessarily a cohesive whole. Mm-hmm. I, but, uh, I mean, maybe I'm looking forward to their maybe their their mid cycle refresh will really. Um, this <laughs> we're is the first, one year we're one year I, into I, the vehicle I, I, and we're really, already looking ahead. <laughs> is, it, is that rude of me to say? I mean, I feel like they have so many things to button down and to get better 
with this car before it can be truly competitive. And I know that Volkswagen has that can have that attention to detail that they're just not showcasing in this car. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, another we were talking about the Jetta before. I'm gonna be driving the new Jetta next week, mm-hmm. the 2019, and that's a complete redesign. I'm very curious to see how that comes out because we all know the last redesign of the Jetta was a little rocky before they got it right. Yeah. Uh, because they they tried to cut some cut some corners in recent years, and the market slapped them back and said very much like what happened with Honda and the Civic. Mm-hmm. And um, Volkswagen recovered and made it a, a, a much better version of the Jetta. So I want to see the new model, what they've learned from that whole experience. But Sammy, uh, speaking of the Atlas, going back to the Atlas, you mentioned that you were at the New York Auto Show. There yeah. was something at the New York Auto Show that was Atlas-related that I think caught a lot of people by surprise. Actually, there were two things at the Atlas uh, at the New York Auto Show that were Atlas-related, which is – that's maybe what we're getting to with this uh, – maybe the Atlas – this three-row Atlas isn't the real Atlas. Um, they showed something that they called an Atlas Cross, which is a two-row version of the Atlas, a little bit smaller, more like the Tiguan um, than uh, – sorry, more like the – yeah, what, what am I talking about? More like the Touareg, the outgoing Touareg than the Tiguan. So it's a big, tough-looking, sporty car um, with, a, with that, like, chopped-off top corner, so it looks like a coupe in a way. So that's the Atlas Cross. So it's a less useful Atlas. Yeah. So the thing um, I like, the thing has, I liked about the Atlas, the third row, the third row room is gone now. Yeah. And now. So it, they, it the, looks, so they, they made it worse. They is what made you're it saying. look different. What they also did was got rid of that third row entirely and made Wait, it. Wait, what? Made it a tr- made made it a truck. A truck, like a like a pickup truck, like, like a pickup truck, like a like a Ridgeline. Really? And they call it the Tanoac, or I think that's what it's called, Tanoak, Tanoac. Doesn't even doesn't even matter. It's, I mean. a, it's a concept, I suppose. But there are a lot of serious considerations for Volkswagen to make a an, a variant of the Atlas uh, of the Atlas, and this is pretty cool. It is. It's big. It's um. It's it's full of really neat features. It's got like so how I, I'm gonna have a tough time describing all of these because I'm not 100% co, uh, up to up to date with all of my truck terms. <laughs> okay, so behind the the cab are these two racks that can be pulled from where the cab is to out back towards the the tailgate so that you can make like a giant rack for for say like a a a canoe or or a roof like a roof rack mounted storage container plasma cannon somewhere in the 85 megawatt True. range Maybe. um there's also a a what do they they show a pass through or uh yeah a cab pass through that would it's kind of like you know how in some cars they have that um like that pass through for your yeah, skis. Yeah, it's for skis, right? Like yeah. uh, most people who have pickup trucks who need a pass through, they typically end up using the um, the, the window. rear window, yeah, which the that's... the Atlas doesn't have an opening rear window. Mm-hmm. So, but this is this pass through is closer to the the bed of the of uh, the truck, so the floor of the bed. So that's a little bit safer, I think, right? Sure. Rather than tilting something up into your cab. <laughs> Am I wrong? Hey, man. No. <laughs> Thanks. It's pretty neat. Um, it, it gained a lot of attention, and they said that they were really gauging that attention to see whether or not they'll make this. Now, they make a truck in overseas market. It's called the Amarok. Amarok. It's, a, it's too small of a truck to make it to the U.S. and be successful. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How much smaller is it than the Colorado, really? 
I'm not. I don't have that. I don't have those numbers. That's what they always tell us. That this is too isn't it? Small. Isn't it more a problem of where it's built? That too. It's built the in, chicken. The chicken tax. The chicken series. tax will kill it. Sorry. But um, you know, this goes back to the the point I made when we first started talking about the Atlas. Who is walking into a Volkswagen dealership and looking for a pickup truck? Yeah, so maybe if they just round out their their range, their lineup. I mean, they've got some other cars as well. They've got the new Ardeon. They've got, um, I believe they're going to make a two-row, sorry, another version of the, yeah, they're going to make another version of whatever Atlas they, they've got. They've got your new Jetta. They're going to have a pretty substantial North American lineup. Yeah, but I mean, we're, we're talking about a company that has a very specific identity, and that identity is not linked to trucks. I mean, Subaru made the Baja, and nobody bought the Baja. Why? Because no one goes to a Subaru dealership to buy a pickup. Okay, that's that's so, true. I get I that. Mean, but people used to go to 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 Volkswagen dealerships for everything. They had the mini, but they had that mini. What is it called? The mini bus. The, yeah, it's a van. Did I something did the I Europeans? Break, did I break your mind by na- not naming it properly? No, but <laughs> what I'm saying is, yeah, Europeans do vans very well, and that's not a secret. So it doesn't bother me. It doesn't surprise me that they were able to sell a van. You know? And then like, they had the convertible, the EOS. Remember that? Yeah, no, the one that nobody bought. Yeah, what with the retractable hardtop. Do you, do you have a do you have another failed product that you'd like to bring to the forefront? So yes, I do. Let me try. I believe they're actually ending with the Beetle at some point. Yeah, the Beetle's done. They ha- they have no successor for it yet. That's not no, fair. Well, that doesn't sound good. No one's buying it. But it's like an iconic vehicle. It's like 911. It's like the Porsche killing the 911. No, it, it, that would be true if there hadn't been like a 30 year gap between like or 20 year gap between the but Beetle and the it. new Beetle. We missed it when it was gone. All right. Okay, let me continue though. There's there there were other really important vehicles at the New York Auto Show, um, cars that will that sell in the in the bajillions. So like the Toyota Corolla. Okay. A new Toyota Corolla hatch. Now that's really important because the Corolla hatch that we get now is a carryover of the Scion IM. It's only available in one trim level, and it looks a little bizarre in comparison to the regular Corolla sedan. And it doesn't even come with some of the features, like the important safety sense. I think we call it safety sense P for plus. The <laughs> the new version doesn't have that. Yeah, uh, because sorry, like, all current... those Scions were like zero option vehicles, exactly. right? They were just one trim level and, and forget it. This new Corolla looks great. It has a bajillion features, different trim levels. They're gonna they're gonna have a Formula Drift version of it, which is speaking of Formula Drift. I just want to remind I just want to remind everyone that Sammy owns a Scion. Right, I do. What does that have to do with anything? It's just I'm just saying. (laughs) But okay, Um, and it looks pretty. It looks surprisingly good. And they're gonna be coming with a with a number of expressive colors. They they showed us a really expressive. They showed us a really yeah expressive. What do you want me to tell you? It, they, I don't know. A really eye-catching blue. There's some gorgeous reds. There's even a bronze or like a brown, which is really unique. You don't see that, especially in the small car segment, um, like the like the Corolla. So that's really cool. But Toyota's also showed us a new Rav4. How long has the Rav4 been around? And we, I swear to God, I hate it. It's the, one of my least favorite cars to drive. And I like it. And it kicks major ass. That's why it's been around for so is, long. Yeah, because no one's taken it off its pedestal yet. It sells so well. Um, and and that's why it's, 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 it's been around for so long. But now they're making one that looks really tough, really rugged. Um, a There's even going to be a hybrid version of the sporty trim i think the s the se will be able to be equipped with a hybrid version of the car 
Unfortunately, the powertrain is still mostly the same. The engine is the same. But I think it'll come with a CVT instead of um, an automatic, uh, I think a six-speed automatic that was in the last. Well, that, that hybrid RAV4 is my favorite model. I think it's the best one that they make. It's It's got great power um, compared to the base model or any of the other models for that matter. And it's really comfortable too. Additionally, not just Toyota's bringing out their their big guns to the New York Auto Show. Both Nissan and Subaru brought some of their best-selling cars, a new generation version of them. So Nissan is getting an it has a new 2019 Altima, which now looks really good. It looks like the Maxima, and I think that's a pretty good-looking car. If if I was going to do a lineup of the best-looking mid-size sedans, the Altima and the Mazda 6 are definitely now in the top. Uh, in the top tier of that segment. Do you think that? Do you think that means the the Maxima is dead? No, I don't think so. I think the Maxima still suits um, a certain demographic from for Nissan, and I think Nissan will continue to sell uh, or continue to offer a bajillion cars that don't sell a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying that that's their mo? Yeah, I think they want to they want to fill every single niche in the in this in the segment with whatever car they got. Now, here's the important part of the Altima. You can get it with optional all wheel drive. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of a big deal. That's, that's actually a huge deal. And, no, we're not done yet. And it's going to get that variable compression turbo engine that was in the Infinity. What? Yeah. Okay, that's cool, but I feel really bad for Infinity because for like 10 yeah. seconds they had an exclusive engine. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have some other exclusive engines. All those V6s are super exclusive to the Infinity. Yeah, for now, yeah. until the Ultima needs a new engine. A 400 horsepower V6. Well, maybe the, it might be that the, that V6 is uh, lo- it's only longitudinal. Like you can't do a transverse mount, so that might protect it. Okay, so that's really cool, and I think that all-wheel drive model that's going to be in the 2.5 liter four-cylinder version, not the variable turbo engine, which is a bit of a bummer. The variable turbo engine will get it in front-wheel drive. Well, you know that that's that's pretty interesting. That I is mean, interesting. Yeah. But uh, although it's a little weird that there's no all-wheel drive system for an engine that's already compatible with all-wheel drive. Yeah, I don't know what the scoop is. Maybe it's coming later. Maybe they, I didn't quite. Maybe they didn't. They didn't articulate that properly. But the fact that you're getting a 2.5 liter four-cylinder Altima with all-wheel drive means that they're gunning straight for the legacy, which is which is ancient, which just feels old now. It hasn't been I, touched I, up. It's, and nobody buys the a legacy, I suppose. I feel like they're not just gunning for the legacy, though. I think that they're trying to be the only... This, the Fusion is still available with all-wheel drive, right? Yeah, but only in that... Oh, oh wait, yeah, you can, get an, you can get a few. I thought you can only get with the V6, but I might be wrong on that. So so I think that you know it's definitely something for them. It's a huge differentiator because all-wheel drive has been marketed to death and so many people want it now. I, I don't think they're going after the legacy. I think they're going after everybody else. I think they're going to be like, hey, that's a nice Camry, but does it come with all-wheel drive? And the answer is no. So that gives that gives Nissan a, a nice step up. But you know, we were talking about uh, Maxima sales just earlier. So they sold 67,000 Maximas last year. Wow. They sold a quarter million Altimas. Yeah. That's I mean, a huge difference. It is a huge and, difference. And, I looked at sales of the like say I was looking at another large sedan the Impala sold seventy five thousand, uh, so there seems to be a very specific. Um, I hey, don't know if it's a I mean range. in terms of in terms of competition, the the Maxima sales are they're not that far off of the Impala. No, they're not. But what I'm saying is there seems to be a very specific amount of uh, amount of demand. Like yeah. I looked at the Avalon too. Last year the Avalon did thirty two thousand sales. And they got a new version of the Avalon coming this year. Yeah, so it's – it's. I, I was at a, a GM event this past week, and um, there's a, been a whole bunch of talk that the Impala is going to be going away. Mm-hmm. 
And there's been a whole bunch of talk that the Chevrolet Sonic is going to be going away as well, which is a, a subcompact or sorry, a compact hatchback. It's a shame that both of those are getting that, getting the axe because the Impala was this latest version is the best Impala yet and is yeah. one of GM's best sedans. So, so to address these concerns, um, GM said, look, 25% of new car sales in North America are are compact or sub, or sorry, compact or midsize vehicles not suvs not crossovers but mm -hmm. cars yep they are not going to be abandoning the car market because they want their piece of that mm -hmm. there are millions of people i believe three or four million that that's something like three or four million sales a year in just mid-size and compact okay. cars there's been talk about ford completely backing away and having a 90 percent suv lineup within the next five years and just yeah there was there was the talk fusion, of the fusion the being yeah of the fusion not coming back either so are you so, debunking these rumors or what what i'm saying is it just seems crazy to me to suggest that companies would like that ford would say you know what gm you can have all the fusion sales that you sounds insane Nissan. i wouldn't do I, yeah. I don't think that's true i think you're right you're debunking a rumor that's been going on uh but, and uh, it, it just I mean, if you look at the Sonic, it's a vehicle that I like, but which hasn't been updated in a very long time. Mm -hmm. They just updated the Spark, the Cruise, and the Malibu. <laughs> so the fact that they didn't do anything with the Sonic is kind of indicating that, yeah, it's probably gone. But I don't think that that speaks to the overall strategy at GM. And in fact, GM claims they own half of the city car market. So the Spark that we were talking about before that I like so much, the, the tiny little subcompacts that go up against the Mirage... And I believe the smart car, I mean, half of those sales in North America belong to Chevrolet. I wonder if so, something would change if Nissan let the micro loose in the U.S. It definitely would if pricing was similar to how it is in Canada. Yeah. Because I, t I asked in Canada, I'm like, look, you're up against the micro here. And they're like, yeah, things are different. We're still doing well, but we're not dominating. <laughs> okay, let's, let me, can I continue with the New York Auto Show, though? I'll allow it. Okay. Um, another mega mega stream vehicle is the is the mega stream yeah mega stream is the Forester the new 2019 Forester is coming as well and that it's cool but it's also less cool at the same time it looks like, exactly the same as the old one it has the same platform as all of the other cars now in the in the Subaru lineup with the except for the Legacy I believe um, and I believe the same engine and powertrain and it. I feel a little sad saying all of this because it just doesn't seem like a huge leap forward. But that that chassis is really good. I'll, but I'll there are a that. couple there are a couple things you left out because it doesn't really have the same powertrain anymore. It it has a oh, an updated yes. version of that four cylinder, right? It, it makes a little more power, a tiny bit more power. But the XT, the turbo, is gone. Yeah, remember that, that model turbo. you really uh, we all really really liked. Yeah, remember that the no one, fast that and no fun Forester that no one bought. So they replaced it with something called the Forester Sport, which is a basically an appearance package it looks wild you should see the interior of it, it looks like a it looks like a athlete's backpack so they get they get uh it gets a uh so they have the the drive mode i believe it's called si drive is that what mm -hmm. they call it for subaru and and if you buy the sport or the top touring i think it's touring is the top level you get like a, a sport sharp mode mm -hmm. to drive in um and if you buy the base model, you don't get that. So that's that's the only real performance style thing. And what Sports Sharp does is it gives you like eight uh, ratio. CVT ratios that you can access via paddle shifters. Um, in any case, I'm sad to see the XT go. I'm sure the new Forester is great because the old Forester was great. And like you said, it's not a huge difference. Mm -hmm. But yeah, well, where's my turbocharged Forester, guys? I mean, come on. Uh, and then another another really popular car, the Hyundai Santa Fe, got a whole new look and new generation, and 
um, is going to be offered with the diesel engine in the, in the U.S. Didn't they change the names around too? Like, it's yeah. like the Santa Fe Sport and the XL and the that's no longer something. happening. The the okay. Santa Fe Sport is is gone. The Santa Fe will be covering the whatever the sport was, and will be offered with a th- an optional uh, will be offered with a third row of seating. They're calling it an occasional use third row seat. Um, <laughs> I like that. And then, Casual use. Uh, and then the current seven passenger Santa Fe will be called the Santa Fe XL, which is what it's been called in the can- in Canada. Okay. So once again, Canada <laughs> somehow prevails <laughs> in a very obscure area of the automotive market. Um, one of the interesting parts of this car is that it comes with the H-Track all-wheel drive setting, uh, all-wheel drive mode that we first saw in the Genesis versions, uh, Genesis vehicles. That's pretty cool to have it in, in Santa Fe. Um, I mean, what's the difference? It's a variable torque split. It has a variable torque split clutch with active torque vectoring between the front and rear axles. Uh, and it also has three selectable drive modes. So it's it's going to be more sporty and dynamic in some way. Dynamic. Um, there's also a refreshed Tucson while we're talking about Hyundai and an all-EV all version of the Kona, which is a pretty funky car and it looks really nice. And it has 250 miles of range and sounds like a hoot because it has... Oh man, this powertrain. A 201 horsepower and 291 pound feet of torque electric. Go back to that range. You said 250 miles? Yep. So it's competitive. (laughs) I just want to underscore that. (laughs) It's good, yes. That's a that is the right way to introduce your new EV. Yeah. Um and the Kona is is getting a rave reviews and seems to be pretty popular already. Uh, I drove it about a year ago in Korea for 10 minutes. And I believe we covered that on a podcast. Yeah. And um, from that 10 minutes, it was perfectly fine. <laughs> and what else? That's all the that's all the really like mainstream stuff. The other things that are really interesting, a new Lincoln product, the Aviator, which is, it, as far as I'm concerned, is production ready. The, the vehicle they showed looks like it was ready to be sold. Yeah, it was a it was tomorrow. a it was a production uh, teaser. I think is what yeah. they're calling it. They say it's going to go into production next next year um it has three rows of seating it has a rear wheel drive platform and it's very likely going to be the next explorer as well we were talking about that Uh, yeah and they're going to give it a plug-in hybrid drivetrain a twin turbo v6 plug-in hybrid yeah that sounds pretty um, good so we'll see i mean that's not going to be the only version i'm sure there will be a regular ecoboost version of it as well Mm -hmm. but it's definitely it's it's a mini navigator and that's what lincoln needed because why haven't they been building a mini navigator? <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's no conceivable reason that the, that the this vehicle wasn't created ten years ago. I think because the navigator is their best product. It's like quality wise, and I think maybe sales wise, they're probably their best car. And they you know, didn't they, want to steal anything away from that, rather than than what? filter it's that. It's not into stealing more. to build on it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, anyway. some people might just walk into a dealership and say, "I want the real deal." You know, I think Lincoln would be happy to have anyone walk into their dealership <laughs> and buy anything. So I don't think it matters if you want to protect the Navigator. There's also a pretty – there's going to be a pretty big price gap, I think. So the the, the, the Aviator name, it used to be a rebadged Explorer many, many years ago, like 12 years ago, I think. And it didn't last very long. No one really bought it because it wasn't different enough. I know I'm saying now that the this new Aviator is like a mini – 
mini navigator and i mean that in terms of styling i don't mean that in terms of mission it's not it's going to be smaller it's going to be easier to drive but it's going to have that same look and same style of inside and that's going to be very important to attracting customers um and i i think that there it's going to be more expensive they're going to be replacing the mkt which is a vehicle nobody bought the mkt is the the lincoln version of the flex that is somehow less practical it's terrible <laughs> it's and it's ugly as hell <laughs> so so the flex Sorry, the MKT, I think, was around 45000 50000 I think you're going to see the Aviator start around 55000 okay. I think it's going to jump up in price, and it's going to be underneath the, the Navigator, realistically, mm. but it's going to be more expensive than one would expect from a Lincoln, and I think they're going to sell them. Okay, I'm looking forward to seeing it in person. To be honest, it it looks it looked really good in, in the show, and it had a different design interior design, a very minimalist, um, vertical in, like uh, layout for the interior design and the buttons. And it was something that's very unique, very very different than what Ford has in their vehicles. And that's something that I've always had a complaint with, um, with other Lincolns, is that they sometimes carry a bit too much of that Ford underpinning in terms of their design in the interior. And this oh, will yeah, have... That's, that's been the huge problem with the entire brand is that why would anyone buy a Lincoln if it's merely a more expensive Ford yeah. and the aviator is not that. So I'm looking forward to, I'm really looking forward to this. It really captured a lot of attention as well. Something that I don't think resonated with people as much as that was a new Kia K900. Um, what's the deal with the K900 Ben? I like it. It's a big, full-size luxury sedan. It's basically the Kia version of whatever Genesis is selling these days. <laughs> G80 or something, yeah. But um, it's hard to see where it fits in when they have the Stinger in the lineup. Right. So here's the thing about the K900. It has that 3.3-liter turbo V6 It has uh, that has 365 horsepower and 376 pound-feet of torque. It's a, it's, it looks interesting. The rear end looks like they stopped designing it. They're like, I'm not going to make the rear end look like anything. You're so cruel. Uh, the interior is wild. It's pretty nice. If you like ambient lighting, this card is for you. It has 64... I saw this. Pantone <laughs> Pantone Color Institute helped design this uh, new lighting system. There's 64 lights of, or colors available. And I think there's going to be mood lighting. Which I'm, I'm excited about. Tell me more I about I wish I can't. I can't tell you more about it. But I'm excited... For that, and that's it, which is nothing that should be what a car is sold on. Uh, we can't just walk in and be like, well, Sammy likes the mood lighting. We should buy this. Um, other neato cars, though, are the new Jaguar F-Pace. Um, they decided to grant everyone's dreams and put a V8 in it. Uh, that's great. It's going to have 550 horsepower. It's a supercharged V8. 550 horsepower, 502 pound-feet of torque. It's going to sound great. It's going to go very fast. And this is great news for people who like Jaguars. Um, there's also a new Genesis concept that debuted. It's called the Essentia. And it looks... Wait, Essentia? Oh, that's the supercar, right? Yeah, it's a supercar. It's more of a design study. I don't really know what... The, this. I don't think this is a real car. I hope it is because I saw some images of it and it looks spectacular. It looks great. I don't. I just don't see this being a, a real thing. I think this is just going to influence the next uh, generation of, of Genesis design. It's captured everyone's attention. It's an electric vehicle. Um, we'll do zero to sixteen three seconds. It has a lot of carbon fiber accents and it looked kind of like a Valkyrie. Um, not Valkyrie. 
What's the name of the Aston Martin? It's the Valkyrie. Uh, Vulcan, I'm thinking. Sorry. I thought it was the Valkyrie. The front end is looking a little bit like the Vulcan. Um, well, it, you know what it did is it got us talking about the Genesis brand. So, I mean, I'd say that's a, that's a success. Huge thing. I mean, and the Genesis is coming with is slowly, slowly but steadily increasing their product lineup with a very good car. So I think I'm okay with that, with being patient um, about that conversation. But the new Genesis uh, G70 is here. It comes with the manual rear-wheel drive model, which is pretty cool too. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be driving that at the end of the month, and I'm very excited. <gasps> Lucky. I'm very, uh, I'm very jealous. That's awesome. So, uh, Sammy, um, does that round up kind of what you had going from New York? I think so. I don't really want to talk about anything else. Those were the, <laughs> so, I think those were the pretty cool, those are the coolest cars. There was so also, I, wait, 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 wait. There was also an RS5 with extra doors. Extra doors. What does that mean? Uh, it's the Sportback A5, but in RS5 form. All right. Yay. So, um, next week, uh, what are you gonna be? What are you gonna be doing, Sam? I'm gonna be driving a new Outback 2.5, um, because the Outback is one of the most popular cars that Subaru sells, and I'm gonna be hopefully shooting a video with it, which is very exciting. I will be talking about the Camaro. Uh, there's a special Camaro surprise that we will be revealing. That's very um, exciting. Next week, and um, I will also be talking about time spent with the Chevrolet Corvette ZR1. Whoa! Which on our on our racetrack, I know. So I had kind of a my mind You've was been blown holding a bit. back on me with the ZR1. <laughs> my mind was blown a little bit, and I I want to talk about that next week. But I'll also be driving. Uh, this week I've been driving a um, Cadillac XTS V Sport, which is their fastest version of the Cadillac uh, XTS, and a vehicle that I actually like quite a bit, which surprised me because it's not my style. Um, but it won me over. And I, I, I'm also going to be talking about the Nissan Armada. Okay. That's a lot of cars to talk about. I am excited it to is. talk to you about the those two Chevys and the Cadillac XTS, which is the V-Sport in particular is a is a hidden gem in the, in the whole automotive landscape. It's a very interesting car that I think should be uh, talked about more. But at the same time, I don't know who it's exactly for. But we'll talk but about we'll that. We'll figure that out next we'll week. We'll talk about that next um, week. And if you want to catch up on some of our past podcasts, you can do that by going to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, and as of this week, you can find us on Spotify. We are up there. And Whoa. More, yeah. More We're on Spotify with the stars, with like Taylor Swift and Drake and stuff. We are. You can also find us on CastBox, which is another great um, podcast. Yeah, but is Drake and Taylor Swift on that? Well, they are when they subscribe to our podcast. Yeah. And um, if you could leave us feedback on any of these platforms, ratings, comments, whatever, it's a big help to us. It helps us find new listeners. Uh, Sammy, if they want to get more directly in touch with us, what's the best way they could do that? Just send us a tweet, man. You can find me at Sammy underscore ha, and you can find Ben at Hunting Benjamin. Uh, we also have a Facebook on, page. Yes. Yeah, Facebook. I always forget right. about our Facebook page. If you're not afraid of Facebook, after all the news has come out, we are still there. Uh, named Automotive Podcast. We're not so, gathering any of your secret details. Are we? And we will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening, everybody.